Welcome to Podcast Sans Frontiers, a Metal Gear Solid audio experience. Here, we infiltrate the narrative, interrogate the characters, extract the themes via Fulton, of course, and finally face down the technological behemoth that is the Metal Gear franchise. I was made to fight. I am a gun. I'm Manu, also known as Manuclear Bomb. Hi, I'm Brian. Today's episode is Angel of Peace, episode 8 of our Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker coverage. We will wrap up the story today, including deciphering the man behind the curtain. But first, our spoiler warning for this and every episode. Everything is declassified. We know who Sigint becomes. We know who Meryl marries. We know the fate of Master Kazuhira Miller. This is not a playthrough podcast. It's all on the table for discussion as we progress through the games. As long as there are nukes out there, we need one ourselves if we're going to be a world power. I knew you'd see it that way, boss. So as long as we stand apart from nations, we need something to put us on equal footing. In a way, MSF is a country itself, and we just became the world's seventh nuclear power. Nuclear power. So we defeated Peace Walker, exposed Coleman and Zadornov, destroyed the boss AI, and recruited Strangelove to stay on at Mother Base. Looks like everything is wrapped up in a neat little package. Well, aside from that pesky note about staying tuned for Chapter 5. The first and most important plot machination here is Miller and Snake agreeing to let Paz stay at MSF for a while. Galvez, or Zadornov, was essentially her guardian for these last few weeks, and there appears to be no record of her at the UN, University of Peace. Until they know what to do with her, though, they want to keep a watchful eye on her. Some, fa- some facts from the Peace Walker incident surrounding Paz don't really line up, and that will all play out here as she is the catalyst and endpoint towards which Chapter 5 is headed. Keeping up with other Mother Base goings-on, you can now actually finish the construction of Metal Gear Zeke. Strangelove, now also without a nation, agrees to help Huey complete it. They even recover the nuclear warhead from Peace Walker and load it onto Zeke, officially making MSF a nuclear power. This platform, however, will not be controlled by AI, according to Strangelove. Funny, now that I think about it, you can start deploying Metal Gear Zeke on your Outer Ops combat missions, but who be piloting it? Eh, a question for the philosophers. No, not those ones. But wait, there's even more. We start getting the secret Eva tapes now, and the voice actress is once again working under the pseudonym of Suzetta Mignette, like from MGS3. There ends up being seven Eva tapes in all, which I'll run down quickly here. Session one is about how the boss was part of the Mercury 7 for NASA, and how she was then sent to Russia to recover space research the Soviets had. This is why she disappeared from Snake's life prior to the events of Operation Snake Eater. The second session is a follow-up, speaking more to her mission in Russia and how the philosophers had taken her son, Ocelot. Thinking back to this, I'm starting to see parallels between the boss and Olga Gerlukovich. Anyway, more space stuff in tape three. There's quite a bit of CIA bashing, which is good. Which leads us into tape four, which reveals the CIA pushed the boss on NASA as a canary in the mine, a guinea pig for their first manned space flight. They did not expect her to survive. Session five is actually about the boss's trip into space and seeing a world without borders. Session six, the crash and follow-up. The boss's name and mission were officially scrubbed from any records, and she would only be used in the blackest of secret ops going forward. She was sent to Russia again to learn more about the philosopher's legacy. Session 7, 
When in Russia, she'll learn she was deceived by her lover and father to her child, the sorrow, though the sorrow was unaware he was working against the boss specifically, just broadly U.S. intelligence. This would eventually set up the mission where one of the joy or the sorrow had to die at the other's hands. Following this is when Zero and the boss would link up to form a new Fox unit and start planning to retake the legacy and stop Volgan. Some of that is old ground for us, both in this game and previous ones. Some of it we have doled out in other parts of our coverage. I do think there is a massive amount of information in these games, and if you, like me, are super MGS brain poisoned, additional hours or days of content if you want to turn the narrative over in your mind. Well, I mean, we've kind of think we've kind of proven because I, I don't think. I mean, I, I, I couldn't say to someone who has who maybe the people who are who listen to this who haven't played these games. I don't think they're that confusing when you just sit down and lay them out, and that's kind of what those tapes do. I, I remember listening to them in like 2013 when I played it, and, and yeah, kind I of getting. It's kind of a good, especially if you like are just getting into the series and like this is your first experience with it. Uh, it's sort of a substitute for like reading a wiki, uh, like an MGS wiki page, and I think that's good. Mm-hmm. And it's it's completely optional. It's not like a yeah. codec call embedded yeah. into your game where you're sitting for 20 minutes. This is all up to you. And a lot of this stuff could be surmised from stuff from MGS 3 and 4, um, but it is kind of nice. Some of the details with Mercury and the NASA project mm-hmm. are just kind of fun, if not super illuminating or new anyways. Okay, let's talk about Chapter 5, titled Outer Heaven. At this point, the player will be replaying main missions for better rankings and new side ops or both four better rankings, but also new side ops will keep unlocking. There are 128 in total. And after a handful of those, you will start unlocking Zadornov escape attempt missions. There are six Zadornov missions in total you have to get through. All of these take place in maps from this game, usually the earlier ones, and the goal will be to locate Zadornov's hiding spot, extracting him, and then extracting yourself. For the first three missions, it just means finding him wherever he may be crouching or lying down. The fourth mission takes us back to the prison village from which we rescued Chico. Like that mission, Zadornov will be hidden in a house with a blue door, which you will have to check in between enemy patrols. Ditto for five, where you find yourself in the crater base with all the trucks. You'll have to pick the truck he's in, the one with the Russian's license plate. Sadly, the other trucks just have the same Easter eggs in them as the story mission did previously. Zadornov's search mission 6 is in the mining village, where he'll be channeling his inner snake hiding in a cardboard box. After this comes one more escape attempt, but this time, Kaz has no idea where he went. He couldn't have gotten far, but his transmitter stopped working apparently. Snake suspects Zadornov has help on the inside, which we'll find out is pause here shortly. To find him, you will have to load up to the no-limit target practice side op at Mother Base, This has nothing to do with Master P, by the way. Additionally, Zeke must have the railgun equipped and must be available, in other words, not be on an outer op, to actually unlock this mission. When you enter the shooting range, you'll hear Zadornov's laugh, and you can find him in the rafters above the shooting floor. Once you find him and close in, you'll go into a cutscene, 3D this time, in Game Engine. My work is done. What are you talking about? V for victory! Rocket! Peace! (laughs) 
was. I found Zadornov. I had to kill him. Zadornov tries to take you out, his prosthetic, his prosthetic arm revealed to be a rocket. Snake avoids it and puts a bullet in Zadornov. He's been stalling this whole time, keeping Emesa preoccupied on a merry goose chase while the real plan is executed. That is, commandeering Metal Gear Zeke. Zadornov is down, but the alarms at Mother Base start screeching. Someone has activated Metal Gear, and Snake needs to get to the outer platform to stop it. Here is where the last substantial narrative in this game is played out, the true ending, so to speak. Paz first does her villain reveal and monologue, that she's actually Pacifica Ocean and, and an agent for Cypher, which again is what we call the Patriots in this game. She goes on that Cypher was secretly pulling strings for both the CIA and KGB, orchestrating the events of Peace Walker in order for Big Boss to create MSF and build out Mother Base, including its nuclear platform. It, in a way, was a training kernel, as Cypher wanted to develop its own deterrent without borders. Yeah, the whole point was to get MSF and Zeke on Cypher's side so they could fight Zero's wars as needed. I like how Paz echoes Ocelot from MGS2. When he stole Ray in the tanker stage, he said he was taking it back. Taking it back for the Patriots, which is essentially what Paz says here, too. I'm taking it back. Taking it back? Where? To our leaders. To Cypher. Cypher? This weapon is Cypher's creation. Paz exposits quite a bit here, including how she modified Zeke to allow her to pilot it. It has a cockpit for a child, which is something we'll see again in MGSV, especially with quote-unquote Eli. The cockpit itself fills up with water, and Paz is shown in scuba gear and a swimsuit, and once again I'm tapping the sign that she's in her <laughs> mid-twenties. So you want to say that this storyline with the, uh, young children piloting Metal Gear is not over yet, Snake? <laughs> it is not. <laughs> It'll never be a game over. The more meaty exposition is Paz tying up the Cypher plot thread. Cypher was bored of two men who loved and revered the boss and wished to carry on her meme. They both wished for a world without borders, in her words, but Zero and Naked Snake had very different visions for this. We'll chat more about this in a bit. In the end, Paz lays down an ultimatum to Snake. Either MSF and Zeke work in service of Cypher, or she destroys them here and now. Oh, and she plans to launch a nuke at the U.S. East Coast too, just to further cement Snake and his company as traitors if they don't comply. The whole angel of peace shtick was crap, Paz says. We are about to show the world just how dangerous a gang of outlaws, an army without borders, can be. You and your men will become pariahs, and you will be wiped off the face of the earth. Rather than heroes, you will be seen as a well-armed extremist cult prone to indiscriminate outbursts of nuclear aggression. You will give rise to a new world order, an age of deterrence defined by a sphere of extremist cult influence. When all is said and done, peace is nothing but a fantasy. A game is a game. You either win or you lose. All you can do is fight. Stop me if you can. The peace sign is the V of victory. Say, peace? As long as Big Boss has an army, there will never be peace. So let's talk about the Zeke fight proper now. Zeke was built from the spare parts of the AI weapon Snake destroyed through the game. 
as discussed, the player will replay those AI battles so they can destroy different parts and circuit boards that will allow them to harvest more parts, the pupas, rocket engines, the chrysalis, railguns, etc. Um, and while I'm here, one thing I forgot to mention is when defeating all these AI weapons, including Peace Walker, and you're pulling out the circuit boards or motherboards, that itself is also a reference to 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, when the astronauts are trying to disable HAL 9000, and they try to go in and pull out his motherboard. So um, the, 2001 is all over Kojima's games, but it's so all over Peace Walker. The name Zeke derives from the allied codename for the A6M0, a Mitsubishi Navy Type 0 carrier fighter. The other codename used to describe the typo carrier fighter? Zero. Zeke also derives from the Hebrew name Ezekiel, which translates to God's strength. Funnily enough, the idea of Zeke's pilot being in a swimsuit like Paz is depicted came from Yoji Shinkawa. Kojima asked for there to be a reason, and thus the flooded cockpit for shock absorption for the pi- on the pilot's behalf was added. In that, it does give a little bit of that LCL feeling from Neon Genesis Evangelion. And yeah, Zeke looks a lot like Rex, which was always part of the plan, according to Kojima. He wanted it to be a treat to Metal Gear fans. Metal Gear fans can have a little Rex as a treat. Before we get into the battle proper, one last narrative bit. Zeke does have some importance heading into Ground Zeroes. Huey had finished waterproofing the mech so they could hide it on the seafloor during the UN inspection. Huey implies that it was destroyed when Skullface destroyed Mother Base above it, but that is unconfirmed. I like to think Skullface recovered it and used it as a basis for Sahelanthropus, especially since it has very similar parts to it. So the battle itself takes place on Mother Base's main platform. It has a certain big shell vibe which shows up again with Mother Base in the Phantom Pain. There is a large platform where Snake will be relegated and an additional, additional inaccessible platform which Zeke will jump to and from for missile and railgun attacks. On the platform, there are ventilation flaps that Kaz will lift up to help you get some cover from Zeke's attacks, namely the railgun. There are two computer terminals, one for resupply and one to launch a missile attack on Zeke from Mother Base's missile arrays. The resupply is pretty handy, as you get two-for-one deal compared to your support marker. The missile attack is pretty clunky to execute, but does significant damage if you can land it. Oh, and just a reminder, this entire sequence is set to Koi no Yoku Shuryoku, or Love Deterrence, which is Paz's character leitmotif as well. We played a bit of it in our opener, and I'll have more of it in our final episodes. The song was a big what the fuck for me at the time, (laughs) but now I actually kind of like the song. (laughs) Zeke will harangue you with railgun attacks, missiles, machine guns, and then just slide and stomp on you at close range. For me, it's just all missiles all the time with Zeke. Uh, No machine gun this time. I usually just roll with the law, the C Gustav, and the RPG-7, and just kind of hit him with rockets whenever I have an opening. I feel bad because I've never beaten Zeke. I almost got to it the first time I played, and I just haven't. I was planning on it this time, but I just haven't been able to, to at least at the time of recording, which means I probably won't. But I've watched. I mean, it's 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 a cool fight, but it is a little. There is a little bit of diminishing returns with these fights in this game. Mm-hmm. This one would probably stand out a little bit more if not for the two Peace Walker battles. Yeah, um, especially the Peace Walker one battle, which is very similar because it's also on its two legs. 
but um, it does have some good difficulty to like, it's not an easy one. Like there's some that, you know, at this point in the game, you'll just be OP and have good weapons. Uh, Zeke takes a little bit of practice to really mm-hmm. um, understand like a bunch of its attacks are super powerful. Um, and that missile launch attack, which again is really hard to execute and the instructions the game give you are bad. But um, if you can actually land one of those, it does like, you know, 20% damage, which is pretty huge. Mm -hmm. And then the two for one resupply is also great because um, if you were putting down supply markers and um, trying to resupply everything, I think you would get your ass handed to you pretty easily. Yeah. It's more just getting to this fight, I feel like. I just haven't gotten that far. It is almost because of its similarity to Rex, like what a modern day battle Mm -hmm. at the end of Shadow Moses would look like. Um, with you taking on Rex, so to speak. Um, it's not like the same battle. You're not trying to shoot the Ray Dome, and obviously Gray Fox doesn't show up and get immolated, but you know, it's very similar to the Rex fight and then just kind of modernized in a way. I mean, the Rex fight, I don't know if the Rex fight is actually good, so. <laughs> oh, I, I really don't think it is. It, it's super cool story moment stuff yeah. happening, but the actual battle, um, like the liquid fight on top of Rex is, I would say, a better battle than the actual Rex fight itself. Mm-hmm. When Zeke is defeated... Paz will be ejected into the Caribbean, and her fate will be unknown until the events of Ground Zeroes. Following the battle, we start winding down the story by checking in with all our main characters. Strangelove and Huey get a quick scene where Huey asks if she truly hates him. She gets all flirty for a lesbian talking to a man, and they tease their little tryst, tryst which will bear fruit in the name of one Hal Emmerich, a.k.a. Otacon. Of course, things don't go well for Strangelove. That scene was in the Ashley Wood 2D style, but when we cut back to Snake and Miller, they are in 3D for the very last cutscene. We see Big Boss lighting his cigar with Zadornoff's hand, its red finger still making the peace sign. First order of business. Cypher refers to Zero. It's another name and the only person who could be behind Paz and Zadornoff. This they come to together, but now Master Kazahiro Miller has to start dropping truth bombs of his own. He actually knew about both Zadornov and Paz, including that she was really working for Cypher. Kaz went through with the charade for a few reasons. He wanted to know what this Cypher outfit was, so inviting Paz in would be a lead on them, not to mention the CIA and KGB info that she and Zadornov had. And truly, to get MS off the ground, they did need help, and Kaz was willing to take help from Zero through his proxies. And actually, Kaz says, it worked. MSF is now a big deal, with recruits pouring in from all over the world, and now as a nuclear power with a deployable army, MSF has a place at the international table. And good thing too, because the world is changing. As we move into the age of detente and proxy wars, there is a paradigm shift from anti-communism to anti-terrorism, and Kaz means to be at the forefront of this shit. While Kaz was aware of Cypher, he doesn't consider Cypher to be their ally or boss, just someone else to possibly do business with. Big Boss chimes in now and lays down the gauntlet for his outfit. They will be hunted, that much is already known. But their battle now lies with the biggest beast of all, the Times. No, not the paper out of New York, but the actual political and cultural zeitgeist. The Grey Lady, cuz. Ten years ago, the boss tried to lay her gun down, and the Times rejected her. Big Boss will not suffer the same fate, In fact, he won't even lay down his gun. He is a gun, after all. Let's drop some of that Big Boss dialogue here. We've let ourselves interfere with the times, with the Cold War system of deterrence. We're an army without a flag, 
We weren't supposed to take sides in international affairs, but we did. I see your point. So what happens to us now? We'll be hunted. Not everybody's gonna be happy with us, huh? You're damn right. We upset the global military balance of power. And these people would rather our army without borders not exist at all? They're gonna come knocking real soon. There's no turning back now. We are a wrench in the old system of deterrence. As long as the times refuse to change, we're gonna make a hell of a racket. Then who are we gonna fight? The establishment. Anybody who tries to restore the old balance wants to snuff us out of existence. Which establishment? It won't be a particular country or ideology that hunts us. Who then? We are gonna be fighting the biggest beast of all. The Times. And with that, the game is pretty much done, minus some Metal Gear regularities, namely a timeline and post-credits audio. As mentioned last time, we got a timeline at the end of Chapter 4, which basically took us up to the fall of the Berlin Wall at the end of the Cold War. This timeline is an addendum to that, though I think it may have inserted some lines from the late 70s and early 80s about Afghanistan, perhaps pretending that theater in MGSV. But there are two notable events listed after the Berlin Wall fell that weren't in the first timeline. 1995, Big Boss triggers the Outer Heaven Uprising, which is, of course, Metal Gear 1. Um, I actually think the phrasing of that is funny, that Big Boss triggers the Outer Heaven Uprising, knowing that that's most likely Venom Snake. Um, what role Big Boss actually had, or how he was manipulating either both Solid Snake and Venom Snake, um, is something we're going to really dig into in MGSV. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I would say that um, he's canceled, sis, because he triggered it. Um, no, I actually think the Afghanistan thing is interesting because I'd be willing to bet a good amount of money that Kojima had that in mind. Like, mm -hmm. is this, have we mentioned this is probably the first one since MGS that wasn't marketed as the last Metal Gear? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, it's funny that when he actually wanted to keep doing Metal Gears is when he actually was no longer able to. But yeah, this was clearly part of a project building to V. And even after V, I think he would have been down for more Metal Gear. Mm -hmm. um, it's just that Konami and him had just such bad relations. Um, and the Afghanistan thing, too, is interesting because I think Peace Walker kind of primes us for this because everything in this game is happening in America's backyard. Mm. Um, so everything's still kind of somewhat familiar to, let's say, the Western audiences. I know we, they don't teach this shit um, in schools because schools suck these days, but um, I think some people have some idea and some familiarity. If nothing else, they've probably gone to Costa Rica on an all-inclusive you know, resort stay. Mm -hmm. um, and I think by moving stuff to this kind of like new political international setting, it really primes us for MGSV where we go to Afghanistan and most of all Africa, where most Westerners know little to less um, about those things. So he kind of preps you for, uh, we go from stuff that you're kind of familiar with if you have some passing knowledge of American and North American history to something that's probably a little more um, not understood broadly by Western audiences. The second thing inserted into the timeline or um, added to the end of the timeline is 2005, Master Miller found dead in his home. This, of course, is when Liquid Snake killed him ahead of the Shadow Moses incident. And finally, our post-audio credits call in which Big Boss tells his troops his vision for outer heaven. Let's just drop that audio in here as well. We will forsake our countries. 
We will leave our motherlands behind us and become one with this earth. We have no nation, no philosophy, no ideology. We go where we're needed, fighting not for country, not for government, but for ourselves. We need no reason to fight. We fight because we are needed. We will be the deterrent for those with no other recourse. We are soldiers without borders, our purpose defined by the era we live in. We will sometimes have to sell ourselves and services. If the times demand it, we'll be revolutionaries, criminals, terrorists. And yes, we may all be headed straight to hell. But what better place for us than this? It is our only home, our heaven, and our hell. This is our heaven. Phew. Well, that's the story of MGS Peacewalker proper. But before we move on, I do want to properly size up Cypher, AKA Zero. That name Poss mentioned at the end, Cypher, it's a code. It means empty. It also means zero. A world of electronic intelligence built on codes and at the center of it all, a zero. I wanted to talk Zero here and now, as I've been referring to him as a structural absence in the series. He's the ostensible big bad insofar as there is one, but I think to be true to the idea of Zero, we only feel the emptiness, uh, not the substance of his presence. This is keeping in line with the Patriots as described in MGS 2 and 4. Shapeless, formless, sans frontiers. It has no concrete unit. But we should fill in some blanks now, as Zero will again be physically absent in MGSV, but has a very, very strong presence throughout, much more so than in Peace Walker. The first thing to highlight is the shadow of Operation Snake Eater, Skullface's infiltration of Selino Yarsk right behind Naked Snake. Skullface, the MGSV antagonist, would be sent in as cleanup, to make sure no trace of Snake's mission would be discovered. In the process, Skullface, on behalf of Zero, would also recover parasites left over from the Cobra unit, which will factor into the parasites we see in MGSV. These parasites would be part of Zero's Cleanser Project, a weapon that could target and wipe out an entire subsect or race of peoples. If Zero ever used this weapon, it is not known to us. It is known, however, that this is what Skullface commandeered and tried to use during the events of the Phantom Pain. Cypher in this game and MGSV is used interchangeably for Zero and the Patriots organization. Cypher seems like it might be the first name that the organization went by. Cypher, the word, could mean several things. It's most commonly used as a key for cryptology when encrypting and decrypting data, which feeds into Paz's line about how Cypher was looking forward to the age of information control. And Cypher also means Zero itself, which the game explicitly tells us here in the ending. Paz also, refer, also uses it to refer to the boss in a way, as the key to unlocking the narrative fallout between Big Boss and Zero, the point of origin for this conflict. There are also a couple ciphers amongst the X-Men, which I'm only listing here for trivia purposes. Doug Ramsey, aka Cypher, spelled with a Y, is a master of language and data, while Cypher, spelled with an I, is Elisa Tager, whose powers are stealth and invisibility. 
None of these are being referenced by our cipher, but there is some fun Metal Gear overlap I wanted to mention. Cipher Zero also had some quasi-canonical involvement in MGS Portable Ops, but again, given that's game, that game's iffy continuity, we'll just ignore it. What's important is the founding of Cipher, or the Patriots, in the early 70s using the Philosopher's Legacy as recovered by Revolver Ocelot. Zero would begin his plans for total information and weapon control from there. The combination of spreading the myth of Big Boss in Les Enfants Terribles led to the split between Big Boss and Zero, which we discussed last time when we covered Snake. Around this time, Zero stopped directly contacting his agents when giving them missions or tasks. The lone exception was Pacifica Ocean, who, we, who he personally prepped for her mission with Big Boss. This also is why Skullface was interested in capturing Paz for uh, in-ground zeros because he wanted to know the location of zero because none, no other cipher agents actually knew how to find the man. That brings us to the Peace Walker incident where zero was manipulating Coldman, Paz, and indirectly Big Boss through his machinations. His goals were twofold to develop both AI and a mobile nuclear platform via Strangelove and Coldman, while helping to build up Big Boss's forces so he could co-opt it as a deterrent for his fledgling Patriot organization. While Cypher was embedded in the U.S. intelligence and military sector, it did not yet have full control of them like we see in the Solid Snake games. We know where Zero is going as as the Metal Gear saga Saga's Big Bad, and in Paz's final monologue, she alludes to his greater plans to control information and control even guns, eventualities we saw in Sons of Liberty and Guns of the Patriots. Nothing really new on that forefront other than laying foundation for the future timeline. Zero does not appear physically in this game, except in Ashley Wood rendition when Paz is unspooling the narrative at the end. He is, however, the puppeteer behind the CIA and KGB to varying degrees. With the CIA, he has more direct input as Cypher is currently organized within the U.S. intelligence apparatus. It will slowly start to fade back when we get to the Phantom Pain. With the KGB and Soviets, it's a proxy game. Zero utilizes Ocelot, Zadornov, and surely others to get the Soviet intelligence apparatus to bend to his whim. That said, Zero does have an audio appearance in this game. Kinda. Not enough to be cast with a voice actor, but he's on the opposite end of a phone call with Miller, which appears on a secret cassette tape. We only get to hear Kaz's end of the call, but it reveals that Miller and Zero have been in conversation, and it also speaks to Les Enfant Tarib. This is a secret tape that's hard to unlock, so for your benefit, I'm just going to drop it here in full. It's me. Smoothly? Naturally? No. Big Boss doesn't know the truth. No, Langley hasn't decided what to do yet. Their hands are full with their own mess. True. Lubyanka is in the same boat. Yes. Other eyes continue to watch, but no sign of contact so far. Exactly. It's a non-state army to use however they want. They probably decided there's no sense in wiping them out just yet. Better to make use of them. Indeed, they have. There's a site near Angola. And we fully validated the AI as well. Agreed. In the end, a machine is just that. A machine. Sigan was right. 
It seems it's time for a change in approach. Machines are best suited to specialize in high-level data processing. Yes, of course. Speaking of which, any news on the suns? Two. Already? Really? But they're strictly an insurance policy, yes? Hmm. So that's the idea. I wonder how Big Boss will respond. Yes, but I'm only interested in the business angle. Like I said before, I'm neither an enemy nor an ally. I'm merely a business partner. Don't forget it. Yes, I'll be in touch. My dear Zero. And when Kaz says, my dear Zero, at the end, it has Cypher in parentheses in the subtitles, just in case you were unclear. I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of conflicted because I, I actually didn't really think about it until you until we talked about it just now that part of the reason Zero kind of stops showing up is is to fill out to is a kind of a very Kojima metaphor of you know him being Zero, him being the absence of something. But I, I kind of wish. I mean, Jim Piddick is good. I just I also don't know how well he would do like sneering villain with that character. I was just going to say, it's a very British, you know, here's your tea, governor, uh, kind of attitude in Snake Eater. So it'd be weird to see him dial it up to be like a Kafka-like figure. Very Basil and Austin Powers. Yeah, exactly. Kind of character. But um, also, you know, obviously they weren't thinking of the English voice actors for, foremost. Although I do think I do think there is some thought. There was some thought given to that. Like right at this point, mm-hmm. it's a pretty big series over here. And I'm sure Kojima, I mean, I'm sure he was thinking of that because that's that's just how he he's, – he, likes western media he's you know it's not like a um more obscure jrpg that gets translated five years later like these games came out with this but i don't know i'm a little conflicted on it because i wish it's one of the things that i think anything to do with zero and cypher and the the early patriots is the murkiest and least clear like story beats in this entire franchise i feel like mm-hmm and I do think that's partially intentional, but I think part of the problem is because of that, everything we learn about them mm-hmm. is both secondhand and not unfurled in a way that's just clearly able to track the events. You get bits of pieces yeah. of information in different games, and those pieces sometimes conflict, but they're not in order themselves. Um, so, like, we start... I mean, by the end of MGSV, I think you can lay out a pretty coherent mm-hmm. timeline, but there is still a big gap between like 1984 and 1995 between um, the events of Metal Gear 1 and the original Outer Heaven Uprising. So, Yeah, I, I will say the positive is is that they never make, they, they wisely, like they have a, a front-facing villain. So like Coldman in this game and Skullface in V, I think are both good villains who sort of, can mask that but yeah it, it definitely at least makes the connective tissue it, it it's hand in hand with with big boss never really being a villain that sort of makes i mean really what it gets down to is i think there was supposed to be one more game mm-hmm. at least I, I really think so too or maybe even something that is even like part of it is the you know actual recreating the events of metal gear one yeah yeah whether you know you play a solid snake or something like that but um one thing that um, I know we've kind of talked about good guy, bad guy. Um, he becomes more of a bad guy in the Phantom Pain, at least in terms of, you know, this non-consenting phantom that he makes. But um, kind of hearing about or kind of doing the research in Zero, talking, you know, spreading the myth of Big Boss, 
So like he's like lionizing Big Boss for a while, but yeah. I can easily see him later during the Solid Snake years villainizing Big Boss. So even our perception of him as a villain is kind of part of the Zero propaganda. Yeah, that's an interesting. So like, what is Zero supposed to have been doing during MGS One? Is he comatose by that point? Is what yeah, because by the end of Phantom Pain, um, not the end of Phantom Pain, because that technically takes you up to Metal Gear One, but like during the climax of Phantom Pain, you find out that he's. Uh, Skullface was able to execute an that's right parasite yes. or like yeah. some kind of chemical weapon attack on him, and then he was completely um, just unable to do stuff other than basically piss in his little jar, which we hear at the end of MGS four. And I think by ninety one, ninety two, which is three years before the events of the first MSX game, is when the Patriot AIs were fully yeah. in charge. Yeah. Um, so he's basically he's a figurehead, um, a non existent figurehead in a way. Um, by the time. Uh, Shadow Moses happens. Yeah, because I think that that could have been. I don't know. It would have been interesting to have an, an extra sort of entity, you know, slinking around behind the scenes and in, in, in the, during the Shadow Moses incident. One thing I was thinking that would be interesting was, so you know, Big Boss does this whole whatever thing, um, you know, building Mother Base and all the Peace Walker and MGSV events, but uh, prior to the events of Metal Gear One. Uh, for the MSX with Solid Snake, Big Boss returns to America and he retakes over leadership of Foxhound because he is your commanding officer mm-hmm. um, for that game and he's kind of playing both sides. But I think it would be kind of a cool game or something cool to investigate in a future Metal Gear title is if Big Boss was actually coming back to America to see if he could track down Zero. Um, and then maybe you could have you know one last encounter when they're both not old men dying of Fox die at the end of mm-hmm. MGS4. That could be something. Um, but again, I I just came up with that off the top of my head. I had never thought of that before. So, personally offended that you would do that. I never do that. <laughs> I think we're just going to leave off there for today. A little bit of a short episode. We've wrapped the story of Peace Walker now. But before we do our thematic wrap up episode, I want to do a, one more free wheeling discussion about the gameplay, the various side ops, recruiting missions, and playing co op, which me and Brian did for the pod. I think getting some of that out of the way now, a lot of which carries over to MGSV, will just help kind of situate us and get us ready for the next uh, big boss game. That's mission complete for this episode. Our frequency is podcastsansfrontiers at gmail.com and at podsansfront on Twitter and Instagram. You can support Podcast Sans Frontiers and all my other projects at patreon.com slash manuclearbomb. Which, Manuclear Bomb? Hey, that's me. I've been Manu. You can find me covering The Lord of the Rings over at My Brother, My Captain, My Podcast. And I'm still in, I'm, I'm still Brian. I'm still a new man. Alame Nuevo. For the second to last time. Shout out to our sound editor, Stephen Boyd, a.k.a. DJ Empirical on Twitter. Please remember to like, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast application. So until next time, remember to find a way when heavens divide. When heavens divide, I will see the choices within my hands. How can we ever protect and fight with our tiny souls? Let me shine like the sun through the doubts and fear. Do you feel the storm approach as the Heavens divide Time will come To softly lay me 
the gray lady cause.